Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Wonderful music, singing about our Lord. Well, during this these summer months, we've been preaching on the great work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church and in His people. And uh, today, we will see what the Holy Spirit says for the church to do. What is the church to do? And you might think that it is just a conglomeration of many, many things for the church to do. But in reality, it's just seven things the church, tell, the Holy Spirit tells the church to do. And we're going to look at seven of them. Some of them we'll elaborate on, some of them we won't. But I want to begin the message in uh, Revelation chapter 1, if you will. Uh, I was going to do this at the end, but uh, I want to talk about this at the beginning. And I want to ask the question, what kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church is God's kind of church? What kind of church does our master, the Lord who purchased the church with his own blood, want us to be? Well, the answer is in Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. And as you know, John's on the island of Patmos. He's... he's um, been banished to that island. He's the last of the apostles. He's an older Christian man now. All the other apostles are in heaven. He's the last one. There's no more apostles. And I can just imagine he's discouraged and he's down. He's uh, written a, a gospel, the gospel of John. He's written three epistles that are in the Word of God. And now, all of a sudden, this wonderful, magnificent experience that leads to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation takes place on that island isolated. And this is part of it. He says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girded about the breast with a golden girdle. 
His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine bronze, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which thou saw are the seven churches which he writes to and repeats the message of the Lord to these seven churches. He says that the angel, the stars, are the angels of the seven churches in the Revelation. I will tell you that most scholars believe, and they are correct, not because I agree with them, but because they're correct, that the angels or the stars, the angels, are the pastors of the seven churches. The word angel is angelos. It simply means a messenger, one who is to deliver the message for the king, the messenger. That's what an angel is. Now, in his book, uh, Gene Williams, who's with the Lord now, on Revelation, he entitled his book on Revelation, Did You Know Your Pastor Is an Angel? You need to buy that book. But when you put it into context of what an angel is, uh, there's really not that much prestige connected to it because in this context, an angel's just to repeat the message. He doesn't have any ideas of his own. He doesn't have any opinions that are worth hearing. He's just to repeat what the king has said. Amen? And just that translates into... Exposition of God's Word, verse by verse. That's what that means. And so it's really not that glamorous, although uh, it wouldn't be disappointing to me if you thought me angelic from time to time. And the lampstands are the churches, individual churches, and they shine the light. They manifest the light of the gospel of our Savior. So what kind of church does God want us to be? 
We just read this marvelous and glorious and full description of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not his description that I want to point out. I want to point out his location. He is in the midst of the lampstands. He's in the midst of the light. And that is the kind of church that God wants us to be. The kind of church that Jesus is in the middle of. And everything centers around the Lord Jesus. Our worship, our work, our message. And then he goes on to these seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And he tells us what the Spirit of God says to the churches. Now these churches are very interesting. There's several ways to look at them. You can look at them what we would call prophetically. And if you would do the history lesson, and years ago I, I, I preached this uh, approach to the churches. They seem to be seven stages of church history. All the way back to the beginning of the church and how it began to wane at the close of the book of Acts to the modern day church, which is basically, at least in America, nominal Christianity, lukewarm at best. And you can see in world history and church history, times of persecution, times of great advance for the church, and that is depicted in these seven churches as they go one by one. Another way to look at these churches is not only are they prophetic, but they are also postal. I'm talking stamps and the United States Postal Service, actually the Roman Empire Postal Service. There's a geographical way to look at these churches. They were the postal route of Rome. And a postman would grab his bag of letters and he would start out in Ephesus and then move to Smyrna and then deliver into the next church and the next church. And these churches follow along that postal route. That's not really significant except for the fact it shows us that they were literal churches in literal places organized by providence in a way that they would receive these messages from the hand of John and the heart of heaven. Another way to look at these churches is that they were personal. They were real churches in real places that had real problems, real struggles, real strengths, real weaknesses, real pastors, real members, places of worship, and they were literal, individual churches. And the Holy Spirit came and gave them some instructions. And you can look at them in terms of they all are for us. They are a message for us. And the Holy Spirit in them gives us seven orders, seven instructive words for us. Each one of these churches closes out with the phrase that says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now that is not a statement excluding people. 
That is a statement that says, in essence, you need to obey the Holy Spirit of God, old church. You need to do what the Holy Spirit says to do and be diligent about it. You have ears to hear because you are God's church. This message is for you. One old-time preacher from East Texas, I heard him preaching on one of these churches one day, and he got to that text, that verse, one of those verses that says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he said, You know what that means in the Greek? And he said, It means if your phone rings, answer it. Well, he's right. And your phone is ringing today. And so we've got to answer it. So let's look and see and go through these seven things. First of all, to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, 4 through 5, the first message to the church from the Holy Spirit is you must repent. You must repent. He says to this church, I know your works and your labor and your patience, and I know how you cannot bear them who are evil. And you have tried them who say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars. Well, that's some wonderful good things. That's wonderful good things. And you have strength and patience for my name's sake. And you've labored and you have not fainted. They just keep going. But he says, remember therefore from where you are fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come quickly and remove your existence. And he goes on to say, he that has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he says to this church at Ephesus and to us, we need to repent. This church had left its first love. And when they left its first love, it consequently led them to leaving their first works. Their priority love and their priority works. The very purpose of the church and he said you have left your works because you've left your first love and I want to tell you this folks the first love of any church needs to be the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that pertains to him and that love for Jesus is always manifested it's never stagnant it's never a silent love it's never a still love it is manifested in love for His Word, a love and a desire for His Word. It is manifested also in a love for one another. By this you shall know, they shall know you are my disciples if you love one another. And a love for worship, and a love for what Jesus loved, the lost, and those who are unsaved. And so... We love him. Now, how do you know you love Jesus? Well, today, if I were asked that question out on the street or in places of worship across the country, people would say, well, I know I love Jesus because when I go to church, I feel good. Or they'll see somebody when they're singing and their hands are in the air and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And they may even have tears in their eyes. Nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't mean they love Jesus. Jesus gets to define for us what it means to love him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. That's how you know you love Jesus. Are you obedient to him? doesn't have anything to do with emotion. It has everything to do with submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so our first love is to Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Do you love Jesus? And is your zeal for obedience now as strong as it was, as it was earlier in the early years of your walk with God? If not, you need to repent and turn to the Lord in repentance. So he calls us to repent. That's what the Holy Spirit says. Second of all, we need to realize our riches. Go on down to verse 9, the church at, at um, Smyrna. He says to this church, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. The poor people, suffering people. But thou art rich. He says, don't fear what you'll suffer. All that poverty and persecution. He says, you are a rich people. Did you know that if you're saved today and part of a church family, you are wealthy beyond measure? You are wealthy in terms of a wealth that can never be taken away. As a matter of fact, you just grow and grow in your appreciation of it and even in your spending of that wealth. The Bible speaks of the unfathomable riches in Christ Jesus and how His kindness and forbearance and His wisdom and His mercy and His great love and His glory and His supplying of all things to us, His assurance, His word, all of these things. We have great wealth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? Sometimes we live like we are paupers. We live like we are in poverty, spiritually speaking. But the Bible says we are wealthy in Christ Jesus. Now, the prosperity boys that you see on television, all right, uh, the guys you ought not listen to, and uh, the lady preachers too, all the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be wealthy. And they're talking about physical wealth. And the way you get wealthy is you take your money and send it to them. And then you're wealthy. And for some reason, a whole lot of people send them all their money and more money and more money and then never get returns and they keep on sending it to them. Well, that's not what the Bible's teaching at all. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was in poverty. Poor old John the Baptist. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest preacher that ever lived. He didn't wear a white suit and blow on everybody on the stage. Huh? He, he, he didn't have, he, he didn't have uh, uh, well, he wasn't Joel Osteen. I mean, he wore, he wore some old wore-out clothes, and, and he was ate locusts and wild honey, lived out there in the wilderness, he wasn't very eloquent. Some religious leaders came to hear him preach one day, and he looked at him and said, looked at him, and he said, Your mom and daddy are snakes. That's what he said, Oh, you generation of vipers. And he just commenced to preaching. And so that's not what he's talking about. Our wealth is spiritual wealth for our spiritual mission and the work we have to do for Jesus on planet Earth. Our wealth is so we can be fully equipped to express our first love. And, and do our first works. And so he says, recognize your wealth. 
Let me share with you what you need to do. First of all, you need to confess your sins because those sins will just kind of cover up your wealth. You won't be able to see them and experience all those blessings. And you need to confess your sin to the Lord as the Spirit shows you and talk to the Lord and repent and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and study the Word of God and you will learn how to appropriate your wealth. And then thirdly, we go on to the next thing. Look at the third church, this angel at Pergamum. And uh, this is, this is an interesting one. So what do we need to do? To the church at Pergamum, the Holy Spirit says you need to resist false doctrine and the world's philosophy. Resist false doctrine and the world's philosophy. The Bible says, write these things. These things saith he who has the sharp sword with two edges. I know your works, he says. You're in a hard spot. You're where the devil lives. You're, you're on, where Satan's throne is. And they deny uh, my faith. They deny doctrine, true Bible doctrine. And he gives some examples. And he says, some of you in the church are even denying doctrine. And you're going after the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And those were systems of doctrine that derived up in the early church. He says, repent, or I'm going to come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so the job of the church is to be the custodians and the stewards of the truth of God's Word. We're to be the ones that hold to true and sound doctrine. But I will tell you, we are losing that in this country. We are losing that truth that, of what we should be in this country. And it's happening in rapid success. It's just moving on. It's an amazing thing to me. First of all, we got off our purpose. And now we're getting off in our doctrine. And we need to hold true to the Word of God. Now, I got to explain something to you. We are a, we are a Baptist church. Baptist is our denomination. Somebody says to me, why are you a Baptist? Well, I won't tell you what. When I was young, a little boy, I was a Baptist because that's where my mama and daddy took me. They took me to a Baptist church. If they took me anywhere else, I'm sure that's what I'd be. But as I grew to study the Word of God, when I was about 16 years old, I began to take the study of God's Word very seriously. And the Lord blessed me and gave me great opportunities to, to learn the Word of God. I've told you before, in my middle school and high school years where I lived, the boys went and worked on the farms. And I never plowed behind a mule the tractor that I worked on from the time I was like 6th, 7th grade to the day I stepped off that tractor one day and went to college the next was a John Deere 4840 air-conditioned stereo. It even had a cassette player in it. And there was a radio station down there called KCTA, Knowing Christ the Answer, headed up by Lester Roloff, 50,000 watts. And they had Bible preaching all day long. And when I'd surrendered to preach, I'd listen to Bible preaching all day long on that radio. All the old greats, Oliver B. Green, Harold Seitler, and, and uh, all kinds of things, all kinds of preachers. And that's what I listened to, Bible preaching. And that's where I learned how to, how to, 
how to write messages and formulate preaching. It was a blessing to me. I didn't realize it then, but it was a blessing to me. And I began to study doctrine and hear those wonderful doctrinal preachers preach their doctrines. And then I became a Baptist, not because I was a childhood Baptist, but because I was a convicted Baptist. And I'm a Baptist, and I'm Baptistic in my faith because, in my understanding of Scripture, because of what the Word of God teaches. And so Baptist is our denomination here at First Baptist Ocean Springs. Southern Baptist is our convention. Southern Baptist is our convention. We voluntarily link together with like-minded churches across the country and who come together as the Southern Baptist Convention for the purpose of pooling our resources, pooling our resources and working together to fulfill the Great Commission. And it's the greatest missionary endeavor ever in church history. It's the envy of all other uh, evangelical groups, what we've been able to do. So we're a Baptist church. I believe Baptist ought to be on our sign. Amen. I want to tell you what, if I go to Rouse's or the Walmart or Winn-Dixie or even Amazon.com and I want to order some vegetables and there's a can up there with no label, you think I'm going to purchase that can? Good grief, it could be pickled beets for all I know. But I want to tell you what, I believe the can ought to be identified. Amen. I agree with that. A lot of people don't want to do that. But I want to tell you, I believe we ought to tell people what we are. Amen? Well, I guess some of you agree with that. It doesn't matter. I'm the preacher here. Anyway, <laughs> for now. But Baptists are not a creedal people. We don't have a creed. You ask a true Baptist what is the creed, and they will say the Bible is our creed. We are not a creedal people. We don't have a creed. Now, because we are a Southern, we are members of a Southern Baptist convention, we do have a confessional statement. This confessional statement was written in 1925, originated in 1925 with the rise of heretical philosophies and doctrines in our country. The Baptists, Southern Baptists, who cooperated together, said, "We need to make a statement so we can let people know." where our churches are, what our churches believe, and what we hold in common. And they came up with the Baptist faith and message. I wasn't there when they voted on it in 1925. They revised it in 1963. I wasn't there either. But I was there in the year 2000 when we revised it again to clarify a few things as cultures, philosophy, and unscriptural doctrine came about, we felt like we needed to revise a few things and make statements a little more clear. And we have the Baptist faith and message. That is our confessional statement. Our creed is the Bible. But these are what we agree with. These are things we agree on which enable us to cooperate to do missions. To do missions. And they're very, very important. And so I tell you all that to tell you that I know that there are more churches than just Baptist churches in our country. 
There are some wonderful, wonderful Bible-preaching churches of other denominations. And they're my brothers in the Lord. And I, I fellowship with, with many of them. Read some of the old books. I want to tell you what, folks. Some of the old dead Presbyterians are the best authors you'll ever read on Bible doctrine. They really are. Some of the old, old ones and, and all that. I, I like reading books by men who have already gone to heaven because that way they can never disappoint you. Amen. They can never put something out that's crazy, Cole. And so, uh, but anyway, a lot of those denominations are, are creedal. They are creedal. And it doesn't mean I disagree with what they say in the creed, but it just means that we're Baptists and we are, we are not a creedal people. Our creed is the Bible. We are a confessional people. I want to read to you an old creed called the Apostles' Creed. And it was a creed adopted by, in earlier times by the church because of the rise of false doctrine, namely questions about the person of Jesus. And this is what the Apostles' Creed says. We believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father, and from which He will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That's the Apostles' Creed. Brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters across the country in the Lord who are not Baptist, they believe that, and they read that. But I want to tell you, such creedal convictions are being done away with in the churches of our land. We do not see it as much here in the state of Mississippi, and I think it's because we're the state of Mississippi, and we pretty much hold to our Bibles, amen? Our Bibles, our guns, and grandma and grandpa, amen? But I want to tell you, um, it is permeating across the country quickly, avoiding and doing away with what is sound Bible doctrine in our churches to accommodate the culture. Not too long ago, and by the way, these old creeds like the Apostle Creeds, they were hammered out of controversies, penned by men of old who believed God's Word and wanted to stand true on Bible doctrine. But there's a new creed out there now, and it has gained some ground. And I want to tell you where it came from. A woman preacher, not a Baptist, was texting on her phone and doing a voice on her phone and meant to say the Apostles' Creed. And the phone picked it up and said, Sparkle Creed. The Sparkle Creed. And she got excited about that and wrote a new creed. 
and in her church went and read the creed. And the creed has been distributed, and there's churches across the country adopting the creed. I want to read to you the Sparkle Creed. Now, let me hasten to say, I don't believe a word of it. It's not of God whatsoever. But I want to read it to you to tell you what we are facing in our country, in the church, in terms of its doctrine, and why we need to stay true with our Bible doctrine. This is the Apostle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love, so beloved let us love. I believe glorious God help my unbelief. Amen. Can you imagine that? If you are ever visiting somewhere and you happen to want to go to church on Sunday and you go to one of them churches and they get up and read that stuff, leave. And don't put any money in the offering plate. Amen. Write the check to First Baptist Church, 602 Washington Avenue. We'll take it. But we are getting, you say, preacher, surely not. Folks, we live in a cocoon sometimes. I want to tell you what, you get out in the rest of the country and the rest of the world, there's a lot of rank denial of, of the one true God and His Word. And it is a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. And I want to tell you where all historic church scholars, church historians say it begins. It begins when you get mixed up about who should be the angels in the church. It starts with the ordination of women. Now, I'm not telling you women do not have a place in the church. You should know better than that. But it is not for the office of the pastor. Paul speaks of that in First and Second Timothy. But it starts small, is my point. And it dribbles on down to where you have this. Talk to your mainline denomination. I will tell you some of my old-time brothers, sisters in Christ, most of them are older people, about their churches singing the woes of what's happening in their churches. One of them, I said, well, you just need to come First Baptist. He said, well, I'm not that conservative. <laughs> I said, well, that's okay. But our responsibility, the Holy Spirit tells us that we must resist false doctrine. And how do you resist false doctrine? Well, you preach the truth. And you just teach the truth in your Sunday school classes. And you study the truth in your recliners and on your couches and in your chairs in your homes every day. And you learn God's Word. I'll tell you what. I'll do my part on Sunday morning 
if you do your part on Monday morning. Amen. And you learn the Word of God, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you have discernment with the Word of God, and He will. So that is what the Spirit says to the churches. Number four, we see Revelation 2 and verse 25. We see the church... Um, the, um, let me get there. I lost it. Uh, the church at Thyatira. He says, remember, remember. He says to the church at Thyatira, remember those things and remain faithful and fast. Remain faithful and fast. Don't lose heart in well-doing, verse 25, but that which you have already, hold fast till I come. If you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ in your capacity as a servant, whatever that may be, in the realm of your giftedness, don't be discouraged when the response is not what you think it should be or when the gratitude is not expressed like you wish it would or you don't see the results that you expect. Don't be discouraged. You just keep on remaining faithful and fast. God's success is a whole lot different than our measure of success. His success is faithfulness and obedience and patient endurance. That's success in the Lord. And so remain faithful. And then we see number five. The Holy Spirit says, remember, remember. You know, this is the church at Sardis in chapter 3. And this is a startling word to this church at Sardis. He says, you have a reputation of doing all kinds of things, of being so busy. You have this going on and that going on and this going on. Oh, you have so many plates that are spinning. It's wonderful, people think. But then he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What is a dead church? I have a sermon, and I've read other sermons entitled this, The Autopsy of a Dead Church. What is a dead church? Well, I won't tell you what a, a dead church is. The dead church is the absence of the filling of the Holy Spirit in its pastor and in its members. That's what a dead church is. A dead church is a church that will have church members who aren't saved because the gospel's not preached and they're not challenged. A dead church is a church that ignores the real mission of the church to win souls, baptize them, and disciple them. That's a dead church. You can have all the activities, all the busyness, and it just looks so wonderful. But I want to tell you what, if you're not winning souls and you're not filled with the Holy Spirit and you're not following Jesus, it's a dead church if you're not on mission. So the Holy Spirit says, remember. Well, look at number six. The Holy Spirit says, reach out. In verse eight, this is a wonderful church, the church at Philadelphia. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he that is holy, and he that is true, and he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shuts, and shuts, and no man opens. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. This is the church of the open door. 
And the message from the Holy Spirit is to the church, reach out. Reach out. Be on mission and win souls. I put the ping pong display back. Do you see the number of orange balls is growing? If you're a guest with us, you're wondering what that is. Unlike the funeral director who was here the other day for a funeral, that is who thought it was a bingo thing. It's not a bingo thing. But every one of those white balls represents one soul that our members are burdened about. And they're praying about them. And I'm praying about them. We've got people in our church who pray for all 235 of them every single day. I pray for five a day. And they're souls that need to be saved. They need to be saved right now. And when one of them is saved, we take out a white ball and put in an orange ball. As a matter of fact, we have another orange ball to put in after last night. And I didn't do it this morning because do you realize how many times I have picked up 235 balls trying to replace a white ball with an orange ball? I'm going to have to assign Cole to that task. He's a little more easy. But I want to tell you what, that's, that's who's your mission. That's what we're about this year. And we're not going to quit until we, we see all those, those balls turn orange and your loved ones are saved and come to Christ. But God says, I've given you an open door. The darker the world is, the more wide our door stands open to win souls. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds. And I want to tell you something, something that happens. When you start focusing on winning souls and outreach, I've learned this. Three things begin to happen. Number one. Number one, God begins to give you salvations. People begin to get saved. People who aren't even on the, on the mission list begin to get saved. Number two, number two, another thing that happens is your people in the church, they get happy because they want to see people saved. And people get saved. And there's a whole lot of other things that begin to happen. But God begins to bless. And, and one thing is, is that all the other stuff just seems to pale in comparison to seeing one person saved. And that's what makes us happy. And we learn to love Jesus more because it reminds us of our own salvation. There are many things. But one thing that happens is God begins to trust that church with great opportunities to share the gospel. And I want, I want to tell you two things that have happened here at First Baptist Church that just were incredible, that, that we didn't ask for them. We, we didn't ask for these things. They just, God just says, I've opened up a door. And... Uh, Look out the door, and there it is. Number one is, and you know about this, is during football season, it just fell into our laps through one of our members and, and uh, wanted to do this, and we said, okay, we can do that. Uh, the football boys from St. Martin High School come, and every Friday pregame during football season, they sit right here. They line up. Now, look, if you're sitting there saying, well, we're Ocean Springs Greyhounds, get over it and get right with the Lord. Amen? 
If, if you don't like us reaching St. Martin, we'll call it foreign missions. <laughs> Amen. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. But, man, all them boys line up here, and we preach the gospel to them. We got some guys on a rotation that come in and preach the gospel. We've got some, some uh, uh, athletes coming. Uh, All-American from Mississippi State's going to come, share his testimony this year. Uh, I'm working on a, a former professional baseball player to come share his testimony uh, this year. And, and then we walk them across the street and feed them, but we get to preach the gospel to them. And uh, one of our members said, we want to do something extra for them. And, and they got the Bibles. And we, we got Bibles with the St. Martin logo on. I showed you those Bibles. I, I, um, let me stand up. Isn't she lovely? Amen. All right. But uh, got the, thank you, baby. Got the St. Martin logo on it. And uh, we, we distributed them to all the players and the coaches. And, and the coaches' wives wanted one. And uh, this thing got bigger than we thought it would. And, I mean, it just commenced to get bigger. I, I still got some more preaching. You're going to need your Bible. But anyway, um, and so this week I got a letter from the middle, from the, um, middle school principal, St. Martin. And it, it's addressed to the angel, but it's written to the church. <laughs> Dear Angel Barnett, Thank you very much for you and your congregation's donation of God's Word to the St. Martin athletic teams and administrators. The Bibles were beautiful. It's a very thoughtful gesture in recognizing the true needs of some of our students. The communi this community outreach is very unique and inspirational, and we appreciate you including us. Thank you. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? That's marvelous. Amen. See, God just gave us an open door. And we get them in here and we preach the gospel and, and feed them. And God's provided. We didn't have any budget for it. And God provided the funds for it. And uh, it's just wonderful. Let me tell you something else that happened, how God just opens up some doors. Just the other day, I was in one of our restaurants. I know you don't believe that, but I was. <laughs> and I was sitting down with a group of fellas in town and and they were eating their chicken fried steak and fried chicken, and I had my salad with balsamic vinegar. And No, I was crunching, I guarantee you. And I was eating my lunch, and one of the servers come up to me and said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure you can. She said, do you have any children's Bibles that I could have? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I I'll we'll get you some, what do you want them for? She goes, well, I'd like to give some of those Bibles to the students, that, uh, to the kids that come here with their families to eat. And so I called our tailgaters ministry, which is a Bible distribution ministry in our church, and I want to tell you what, not one load, but two loads of bags with Bibles and gospel tracts, children's Bibles and adult Bibles. You can go to that restaurant today, and if they're still stocked, which they will be as long as we can do it, you will receive a free gift, a gift bag at that restaurant, which has no connection to our church except I've eaten there. And you will get a bag with a copy of God's Word in it, a gospel tract from First Baptist Church, and an invite card from our church. I won't tell you what. And, and so the, the, the same server sent one, of, sent one of our members a text of a customer who got one of those, those bags 
went home, was reading the Word of God out of that bag to their young child sitting in their living room. Mama took a picture of it and said, Daddy is reading the Bible to my kid, our kids. And she sent it to that waitress who sent it to the member who sent it to me. And I just said, well, praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. See, when you start that, you won't believe the doors that God will open. God opens doors when you get on the right track because he trusts you to be on mission and to reach out. And the Spirit says, reach out, reach out. And then we come to number seven. Look at number seven. Oh, this is the, this is the tough one. The, the Holy Spirit says you need revival. You need revival. Look at verse uh, 14 of chapter 3. And unto the church of the Laodiceans, these things says the amen, the faithful, true witness, beginning uh, of the creation of God. I know your works. You're busy. But you are neither cold nor hot. I would you rather be cold or hot, one or the other. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. God says it's distasteful for me. I'd rather you be cold dead than lukewarm. And it's the lukewarm church. Now, folks, I won't tell you, I don't want to be the pastor of a lukewarm church, and I don't think you want to be a member of a lukewarm church. And we need to be obedient to the Lord in these things. And uh, repent and realize our riches and resist false doctrine and remain faithful and, and um, let, let uh, Christ fill us with the Spirit so we will be alive and well and win souls and go outreach, do outreach. Now, I hate to tell you this, but not a one of these churches is in existence today. If you go over to Turkey, you can't visit any one of these churches. None of these churches are in existence today. Time has come and gone upon them. The candlestick has been removed, and they're gone. But I want to tell you, we're still here. Amen. We're still here. So what do you need to do to obey the Holy Spirit in these things? Well, let me give you three things to do. Number one, answer the door. Answer the door. Look at verse 20 of chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So what do you do? You answer the door. This is not Jesus knocking on the door of the heart of a lost man. This is Jesus knocking on the door of his church, saying, you have kicked me out. Well, Lord, we didn't kick you out. You used to be in the middle like you are in Revelation 1. But we just got, the culture just told us we need to do other things. And we decided there's better ways of outreach and other things we need to do. And so we, we, we still sing songs about you on Sunday. We, we still have some semblance of you and our symbols. But, Lord, you're just, you know, you're just not in the middle anymore. Well, I won't tell you if he's not in the middle, he's not. And he says, I want back in my church. I want back in my church. How did he get out in the first place? It started with one member. 
It could have been the pastor. It could have been a member of the church. And they said, no longer will Jesus be first. No longer will Jesus be in the middle. No longer will we resist sound doctrine. It just won't make any difference anymore. And they, they vacate Jesus. But I want to ask you something. Are you living in a state of revival? Are you in love with Jesus like you once were? Are you staying true to the Word of God? Answer the door. Number two, how do you obey these things? You anticipate the coming of Christ. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me on the throne, even as I also overcame and was set down with my Father in his throne. You anticipate the coming of Christ. The next chapter, Revelation 4, 1 says, John looked up and heard a voice that says, Come up hither. There's going to come a day when Jesus will come back and rapture his church, and that's called the blessed hope. And the Bible says... We who have that hope within us, we purify ourselves, and we are faithful, anticipating that day. So you look forward to the day of the Lord when you will give an account for your service to the Lord and say, I'm here, I've served you, Lord. Here is my crown. And then the third thing is verse 22. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. You acquiesce to the Holy Spirit's call. Like the old preacher from East Texas said, if your phone rings, answer it. You answer it. This is what the church should do. Obey the Holy Spirit, and I pray you will. Well, he tells us to do outreach. Well, we're going to do some right now. Are you 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Do you know Christ is your Savior? For sure. If not, come to Jesus. We're going to be standing up front. We're going to be receiving people. And you just come down the aisle and say, Preacher, Cole, I need to be saved. I need Jesus as my Savior. And you can have the indwelling Holy Spirit and become a Christian. Maybe God's leading you to join our church. You come. We'll help you. Maybe you've been saved, but you've never been biblically baptized. You've never followed through with, with baptism like God commands. And you want to. But you're hesitant. You're afraid. You're nervous. We'll help you. The Lord will give you strength for it. You come down and just tell us that. Say, preacher, I've been saved. I know Jesus. I just need to be baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and unite with the church. You come as the Spirit leads. Let's stand together. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com. 